Good morning. My name is Caitlin Yeager, Director of Heritage Programs for Missouri Humanities. Our mission is to enrich lives and strengthen communities by connecting Missourians with the people, places, and ideas that shape our society. Thank you for joining us today for Chapter 8 of Explore Missouri's German Heritage, the final chapter of our eight-part program series that delves into each chapter of the book of the same title by W. Arthur Merhoff. The book is available for purchase and will continue to be available after the series concludes. So don't worry, it'll still be up on our website for you to purchase for both yourselves and for gifts, whatever you might imagine. It's a great guide. Um, as you guys all know, as you've been sitting with us for the last eight months, I think it has been about eight months. Uh, so I encourage you guys to, to uh, consider purchasing the copy of the book that we've spent so much time discussing. Um, I'll go ahead and post that link in our um, chat box and on uh, the Facebook Live video so you all can access that if you guys are interested. They're $25 and all proceeds will help us continue to bring public programs like these uh, to Missourians. So whether you're joining us on Zoom or watching on Facebook Live, we invite you to be part of our conversation. If you're on Facebook, feel free to comment to let us know you're watching or to ask questions for us to consider. And if you're on Zoom, feel free to submit questions throughout the program using either the chat feature or the Q&A feature, and we'll try and answer as many as possible. If you enjoy our program today and are interested in seeing more from Missouri Humanities, please check us out on Facebook or on our website for the most up-to-date information about our events. We also have a membership program where benefits include free books, discounted tickets to special programs, and access to members-only events. To become a member, visit www.mohumanities.org and click Become a Member. When our program concludes, a survey link will pop up on your screen. So this is a little bit different. In the past, I have sent these chapter surveys via email, but this month it will generate on your screen once I end the webinar. So that survey will be dedicated just to today's discussion. But later today, uh, I'll also be sending another email with a separate shorter survey. It's just six questions, don't worry. Um, that is an evaluation of the series in its entirety. So I'd really appreciate it if you could all take some time to let us know what you thought of both today's discussion, but more importantly, what you thought of this series overall, whether you tuned in for just a couple of discussions or all eight, as I know some of you have. Our discussion today will be a conversation between myself and Arthur with your questions and comments helping us to guide through as we wrap up this jam-packed series. If you missed any of our last discussions, Arthur's going to start off with a bit of a recap in the, of the publication uh, and why the topics in each chapter were chosen. And then we'll dive into more questions and discussions to kind of um, wrap up this, this eight-part series. So Arthur, uh, go ahead and orient us to our final discussion. Well, first of all, thank you everyone for tuning in, viewing, um, however you're engaging us. And thank you, especially to those who've been with us for eight months. That's a little bit daunting, but uh, <clears throat> actually, <laughs> when Caitlin first asked me about this, I, the thought, am I going to make it through eight months uh, of pandemic? Uh, but i um, been very blessed to uh, have both my vaccinations now and uh, um, spring seems to be happening here in the heart of the heart of the country. So uh, um, we, we persevere. <clears throat> Both The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway and Moby Dick by Herman Melville are about fishing. But that's where the difference ends. 
They're very different books. Melville's Moby Dick tells you everything you want to know about fishing or whaling in the 19th century. And Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea is a very tight little, um, almost like a short story, but it deals with some big issues as well. But it's about, I don't know, maybe a tenth of the size of Moby Dick. <clears throat> and that relates to what um, and I think a number of you said, why didn't you cover this topic or that topic um, in the publication? First of all, there's much of Missouri's German heritage that needs to be explored, um, that begs to be explored, and uh, the job is not done. Um, this, this is not the definitive work. Um, I don't know if there is a definitive work of 200 years of Missouri's German heritage of covering these 16 different counties plus Perry County and, and other great um, German heritage sites in Missouri. Um, I recommend, if you're really interested, this classic work by Charles Van Ravensway, former director of the Missouri Historical Society, um, 1973 date. It's well over 500 pages, uh, looks something like that. Um, I've used it to prop up my monitor as well, but as well as using it on many occasions, it's a big, thick book. So if there's something that we missed, I encourage you to check uh, Charles Van Ravensway's The Arts and Architecture of German Settlements in Missouri. But <clears throat> Missouri Life said, you've got about 135 pages um, to cover Missouri's German heritage. So it wound up looking something like this, uh, about this thick. Um, also has lots of color pictures, which people seem to appreciate. The challenge had been, how do we communicate um, effectively and within a reasonable time period? Charles Van Ravenway's book took a long time to write. Um, it was a life, life work for him. Um, I had about a year. So what, what to do? I've been working with the Missouri Humanities German Heritage Initiative Corridor Initiative um, from 2015 through 2017, when I retired as the academic coordinator um, at the um, Museum of Arts and Archaeology, the University of Missouri. So I was more than ready to retire at that time. And in fact, I did retire. And Missouri Life asked me, can you help us <laughs> bring all of this research material together? You know, they, how can we communicate this um, in, a, in a readable, effective manner that still um, respects the scholarship involved? So my suggestion was look at something like um, Neil McGregor's famous one, The World and 100 Objects. It's a uh, uh, Neil McGregor, former director of the uh, British Museum, used 100 objects from the museum to basically look at the evolution of human society as depicted in those, those artifacts. And 
the idea was to find outstanding objects, um, really rich with maybe maybe it's the visual interest, maybe the historic interest, um, but some somehow they just resonate and connect in many ways to to all the other things that are going on. So that was the approach that we chose. And also having worked with the German Heritage Initiative's um, planning process, as well as the uh, symposia that they organized, there were two, two very important things that emerged from that that guided the book. First, um, the historians there really focused on what's called periodization. What were the key periods in Missouri's German heritage. Um, and we see that really in the pre-Civil War period, the settlements um, from Civil War to World War I, which was the uh, peak, peak of Missouri's German heritage where, um, you know, it, it really took off and, and it made a big challenge, I think, to um, many other aspects of American life. World War I brought about, if not the death of, certainly a retrenchment of Missouri's German heritage. It almost went underground. And then really starting maybe in the 60s, certainly in the 70s with the bicentennial period, the idea of reconnecting with one's roots, one's heritage became important. So those four themes uh, or periods uh, became very important. And that's why it began the uh, publication with looking at Missouri's German history uh, through those, um, that lens. And then the other thing we looked at was this idea of culture. How do we understand the meanings that people assign to the world? Well, <clears throat> you can see culture in, at a very big scale in how we treat the world of nature, how we shape our built environment, um, the work we do. And you can also see it in smaller things um, all the way down to uh, cultural activities, music, uh, um, all the way down to festivals, the, the little things that give life its you know, special qualities. And uh, so that's the approach that we took or basically those different chapters that we've explored kind of work from that very big scale of nature all the way down to the Gemütlichkeit that uh, um, Caitlin is so fond of, of citing. Um, and so, and then finally looking at how we remember, whether it's festivals or funerary traditions, uh, museums, and then today looking at if you will, looking back, um, the idea of Eisfein, the uh, um, literary conceit, certainly, but uh, one that I think helps to helps us to reflect upon this rather um, vast journey, Deriza, uh, that we've taken through the last eight months. Does that help? <laughs> I certainly think so. Right. Um, I think it means oh, well one one more thing that I think is important um, in our symposia um, our our leader talked about the, the National Park Service and its emphasis upon interpreting our heritage and I actually worked with the National Park Service 
way back in the day. And uh, um, Freeman Tilden's classic work called Interpreting Our Heritage has, has been a model for my work, for my teaching. And it certainly emerged again in our symposia so that it's not just about information, it is about telling a story, engaging with um, people, viewers, readers, however you want to describe them, and somehow making that kind of connection. So this publication is really about doing that. We did it through multiple ways, certainly the text itself, but also through archival and and very lively contemporary photographs. Um, I even included field notes, if you will, so that Das Tagebuch or daily book or journal, so that people could see, okay, well, you know, there's something going on up here in, in this process. And we all do that when we're looking at a, an object or a you know, space or something, um, something comes to mind. And it's important that the viewer bring that share to this, if a professor falls in a classroom and there's no student there to hear him, you know, does he make a sound? Well, if you don't bring anything to the, to the museum, to the artifact, then it's, it's just old stuff. Exactly. Um, thank you for recapping. I think it's, it's certainly better than me spewing out one line per chapter to try and wrap us up. So, uh, so thanks a lot. Um, so before Arthur and I kind of delve into some, some topics and some wrapping up, um, what I want to ask of you, the audience, is um, a lot of you have been with us uh, throughout these eight parts. Um, many of you have at least joined us for a handful. Um, so we want to know and, and feel free to use the chat feature or the Q&A feature um, and just kind of throughout as it comes to you, as you're inspired by discussion, um, let us know what your takeaways are um, and what has inspired you throughout this series. Uh, we'd love to get some comments, you know, they don't have to be questions for us to answer, just even just comments for us to, to hear um, or to maybe add to our discussion, or they could be questions, um, you know, what, what to do next, you know, what's on the docket, uh, you know, anything that maybe has been lingering in your head over the last eight months about, you know, some of these, these uh, topics that we've covered. Um, we want to hear about it throughout the, the next, you know, 40, 45 minutes that we'll be talking. Um, so, so go ahead and um, be thinking about that as we're talking and we'd love to hear from you. Um, so, uh, Arthur, I think, um, you know, th this whole chapter, I think what we, we kind of uh, talked about the other day when we were talking about this uh, wrap up is that this whole chapter is kind of a metaphor. You use the, the you use ice wine, um, a, a type of German wine as kind of a metaphor for uh, German heritage and for this book. Um, so you mentioned it a little bit as you were uh, doing our introduction, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about um, using ice wine as a metaphor for German heritage and all the themes we explore. First of all, I want to thank all of you who've actually stayed the course and uh, um, you know, ice wine as, as a metaphor um, even brought an empty ice wine <laughs> bottle with me to um, for an object lesson. But first of all, I wanted to thank um, the, the young graphic artist who worked with me throughout, um, Kath Scioli, Edward Lang, and Casey Vroman, 
Um, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so if I'm putting out a thousand words and they're putting out one really classic picture, um, there's a rough equivalency. I suggested some, some kinds of images, but I think their ability to translate ideas, um, text into visual images was just incredible. And uh, I owe them a great debt of um, gratitude for that as well. And I think you can see it in this chapter, especially there's this, um, there's an autumnal quality to uh, this chapter to, to ice wine. And I think that's, you know, very fair that uh, we have this sort of retrospective look to it. Uh, for me, this wasn't the first time in which um, ice wine figured into my thinking about this, this area. Um, <clears throat> actually, Charles Van Ravensway's book, 1973 publication date, um, as you read the, his introduction, it, it weighs, waxes rather nostalgic. He uh, recalls his own experiences um, with old timers from the area, and he He's already talking at that time about the loss of heritage of you know, his, his take on some of the development that was pushing out from St. Louis. Uh, was it fretful, I guess. Uh, it, uh, uh, he saw what was happening and that's in 1973 um, in that early time period uh, my wife and I, Cheryl, Cheryl used to go to, um, to Herman or some of the places along um, US 94 just, just to get away, celebrate with friends. And uh, uh, we could see those changes taking place. So the loss of that um, heritage, as well as, you know, there are people now that are no longer with us that we used to go celebrate with. So this chapter has a, there's a bit of a melancholy um, feel to it. Um, I was thinking it's really appropriate today that uh, this is the last chapter and ice wine feels, it's very full rich. I mean, it's, um, it's a wine that's a special reserve that you take maybe the best, best kinds of grapes for it. And uh, you run the risk of losing your harvest as you wait for the, the frost. And the frost, if you will, cuts away or removes um, a lot of the excess. And you're left with this incredible essence of the grape. Um, and not just the grape, the whole vineyard, uh, the French call it terroir. Um, I couldn't find a German equivalent for terroir, but uh, everything that goes into it, um, as, as Pierre Hussman would say, uh, becomes part of the wine. So ice wine was a way of thinking about how do we pull all this together? What, how do we distill this particular essence? And I think that the idea of culture itself, culture, you know, wine is cultivated, uh, it's cared for, it's shaped, um, it's bottled. Uh, <laughs> people take great care in the creation of the wine. And I think that's what we need to do or 
I'm hoping to communicate in this chapter as well that these are, this is the essence of them, some things that are part of Missouri's German heritage that are of rare quality, they're splendid survivors and they require great care. And they actually taste best when shared with, you know, with good friends and uh, <laughs> people who value that same experience. You know, Venophiles talk about just having more knowledge about wine, make it taste better. I don't think so, but I do think that sharing it with friends um, certainly adds, adds value to my experience. So as T.S. Eliot put it in one of his poems, in my end is my beginning, that this was a this was already a theme or part of my thinking from the very beginning. This is where uh, I was heading throughout um, because in a sense it echoes what Charles Van Ravensway was already saying 73, how many years ago is that? It's nearly 50 <laughs> years ago. So uh, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> we kind of go back to places and they become barometers for ourselves as much as the changes that they reveal. So ice wine as wrap up or, you know, trying to tie it together. Yeah, it really works. Um, and we have a comment from Katie, Katie Homer, actually, who's uh, uh, one of our special guests a few chapters ago over at Deutschheim State Historic Site. She says, while I've lived in places where German cuisine is more obvious, Wisconsin and Herman, these discussions made me realize how much German culture, traditions, and architecture have been integrated into our daily lives, and especially holidays that we don't even realize are German, specifically Christmas and Easter traditions. Um, and I think that's so true. You know, that's um, the discussion. I think it was maybe chapter six or maybe chapter five where we're talking about traditions, cultural traditions, food, um, festivals. We got a lot of comments in our surveys about how there's so much about daily life um, that we don't realize has some sort of German root. You know, most, I wouldn't say for everybody, but living here in Missouri and, you know, and, and the architecture, like Katie says, the food, um, holiday traditions even, you know, it's so ingrained into, uh, into everyday life and it's been around for so long and it, it's stuck around um, that it's, you just don't realize it. And um, I, I'm glad that uh, we got comments that people said this, this discussion made them more appreciate those contributions of German immigrants because, you know, what would our traditions be if it weren't for some of the, the German immigrants that brought them here? You know, it's kind of an interesting question. You know, what if it had been a different group of people? Um, you know, our landscape, our, our, our everyday life, our businesses um, would look very different. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about intercultural transfer um, throughout uh, without getting all heavy duty academic, um, you know, groups exchange ideas, events, uh, um, food, especially, I think. And uh, to me, that's a healthy thing. Um, but I think it's also important that we at least, you know, occasionally tip our caps just to uh, um, just a bit of historical awareness makes life more interesting, I think, and sure. to death. Um, so our next uh, topic, it, it, it is an expansion of kind of that ice wine conversation. 
Um, and then Arthur, you mentioned this also in the intro. Um, so one of the sections as you're talking about uh, ice wine and, and, and kind of German winemaking in general, there's, um, it mentions what the predominant flavors are in wine. Um, which you very creatively assigned to various themes in the chapter. And I really like that. And I'd love to discuss some of these. Um, I know you brought up a couple, um, especially Gemuthlikite, which uh, Arthur says, I, I like it. I love that word. And I, and I think what's fascinating about it is that you can technically translate it into English, but there's no one word. Like we say, like it, it translates to coziness or, um, um, what is that, that that Swedish word that everyone uses when they shop at Ikea? It's like huga, I think. It's that <laughs> feeling of of warmth and togetherness and coziness. And, and it's a very important feeling when it comes to just German-ness. Um, it's something that has come up multiple times over the last several years as we've talked about um, German-ness in Missouri and how when Germans established, you know, homes and businesses and communities that this was that feeling that emulated um, around their traditions and how it's become a kind of a benchmark for what makes something German. Um, so, and I like to say kind of like, when you hear that word, Gemutlichkeit, it's like, if you know, you know, but if you don't know, you're really like, what is that word? Um, so it's this, it's, and I think it's, it's a perfect kind of jumping off point for talking about, um, you know, an overall feeling um, that you get when you're in the corridor, when you're, you know, Arthur mentioned, you know, ice wine is best, uh, best enjoyed amongst loved ones and friends. It's, you know, that's kind of that gemuthlikite feeling. It's, you know, being together. And, um, you know, and I think there's, you know, a lot of people when they're exploring the corridor or, you know, going to a winery, exploring antique shops, all that, um, that's something that they maybe feel without really knowing what they're feeling. So, um, so Gemutlikite being one example, but uh, Arthur, let's talk about some of these others um, that you kind of characterize Germanness with as they as it compares to predominant wine flavors. <laughs> I guess I would pair Gemutlikite with Schmerzen, um, the pain, because <clears throat> wine that's just too sweet. Um, can kind of grate your teeth, grate my teeth, but um, the ice wine at its best has some acidity to it. And I think that we also need to appreciate that um, the beer garden, I think, or the wine garden, wine garden um, is a great example of Gemütlichkeit um, acceptance. And it has a lot to do with culture, who belongs. And I think an issue that we need to consider is, can, can we extend this feeling of gemütlichkeit beyond our in-groups, our, you know, our close family and friends and people like us um, in order to embrace others and uh, find their traditions as well. And I think that also looking at the Schmerz and the pain, um, you know, in the Missouri's German immigrant history also should um, help us appreciate the struggles. Uh, we've, we've seen what happened to people like, uh, you know, the idealistic young Paul Polenius um, trying to help, you know, create a new Germany here in America. Um, uh, we saw 
what happened to Georg Bayer, George Bayer, um, as his, his own group, people kind of scapegoated him um, instead of saying, wow, you know, it's pretty hard to establish a new settlement on the Missouri frontier in the you know, mid 19th century. Um, so I think that keeping, keeping them in balance is part of the challenge. And at its best, I think that um, Missouri's German heritage does offer that sense of humility. And as, you, as um, Katie, I guess, referred to how that's been extended um, to, to others as the, uh, um, you know, the holiday celebrations at Deutschheim State Historic Site um, appealed to people more than just of German heritage, although they still have some special traditions there, but people love to come and see the, the you know, the trees, the ornaments, the, uh, the traditions there, the songs, and they go, wow, you know, that's, so I didn't know that song was, was German. Uh, so I think that's a good example of how it widens out to, to embrace others. Um, turns out that I have my great grandfather's brother um, died at sea on when coming to America. He was buried at sea, so I think it's also important to to remember the struggles that these people went through. Um, what does it take to give up your your previous world, your previous existence, and try and start over? Um, we need, I think there is some applicability in our own, as we deal with immigration today, I think that learning from these experiences um, doesn't tell you where you have to fall on any of the issues, but um, a bit of historical awareness, the, uh, the role of the humanities, I think, can open um, us to new meanings. Um, in dealing with contemporary issues. So that, that sweetness and acidity balance, I think, is, is very important so that we don't just, you know, drink the sweet wine that, uh, you know, we appreciate all the flavors there. <clears throat> Working back up the, uh, the list there, Freiheit, um, freedom, and uh, Again, another incredible example of intercultural transfer, how the American Revolution <laughs> marched over to France and Germany and across the continent. And a lot of the people who came to Missouri in the early 19th century were inspired by this revolutionary fervor and uh, in a sense were adapting or interpreting that heritage um, to their own. So Freiheit became for them um, a, a real model for um, what they were looking for in America. And they appreciated the opportunities that uh, it afforded. And I think especially um, Missouri's German heritage vis-a-vis -vis slavery, how, um, <laughs> you know, Abraham Lincoln said, you know, the Germans, made a big difference on whether or not they won the war. Certainly, they made a big difference in terms of their contributions to um, America, 
the union war effort. And it was because the this fundamental bedrock belief in Freiheit. Um, they're not going to exchange one feudal lord for um, you know another here in America. Um, I talk about Landschaft and hopefully you mentioned earlier the the buildings, the uh, you know the wonderful um, open spaces, uh, just how Missouri's Germans shaped the land culture, if you will, and shaping is a big part of that. And we talk about agriculture um, or horticulture and people like, oh my gosh, you know, um, George Hussman or um, Georg Engelmann shaped our landscape in ways that we continue to, to benefit from today. And I think that, uh, you know, you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden and you can see the old fresco of uh, Georg Engelmann, or you can see his statue, or you there's a George Engelmann School of you know Distinguished Chair in Botany at Washington University. So he continues to um, shape how we how we look at the land itself, and certainly you mentioned the uh, the architecture, the buildings um, in old Munich for in Jefferson City. Um, they celebrate that in in a monument itself, and so uh, um, that's Charles Van Ravenway's classic book. Looks at that in great depth. So if people are really interested in, in the background of a lot of artifacts, you know, whether it's uh, conservatories or oh my gosh, um, you know, there are just so many things that um, have continued to, you know, they, we still live in those buildings. We still uh, honor and respect them. And I think they look different than much of what's being built today. And I think that's, that's valuable in its own right. It says, why are you building the way you're building? And are you building um, to last? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's a good reminder for us and then all the way up to nature, nature, um, <clears throat> that sense of place, which you know, we couldn't define or specifically identify uh, the German heritage corridor. Um, what exactly is it? Well, you can say it's 16 counties or these census districts or whatever, but everybody recognized that the Missouri River and the open space, the um, woods, hills, etc., around that are a key element of that sense of place that distinguishes uh, Missouri's German heritage. And people like Goethe and uh, Haustmann, and uh, I started off with Alexander von Humboldt, uh, you know, who helped basically to introduce the idea of modern geography and, and ecology. Um, but what was what I've come to learn, what I've come to appreciate especially is they never separated themselves from nature in, look, in looking at it, observing it, and they were expert um, observers. In fact, um, Alexander von Humboldt's observations at Mount Chimborazo in um, Latin America are now being used 
to identify where the, you know, climate change, because they identified what was happening at this, this footage and that footage and that footage. And now you know, 200 years later, it's being used to um, identify what, <laughs> where those creatures are going. So um, those attitudes or approaches to nature continue to, you know, benefit us. And uh, the idea that we shouldn't separate ourselves from the natural world, shouldn't just treat it as a commodity, but that uh, we're part of a living system. And so the question is, so how do we live in that living system in ways that are respectful to both our culture and to the natural world? So there's a lot going on there. Mm -hmm. um, Well, and, and I think that that helps us, that helps <laughs> us uh, transition because um, we, we spent the last, you know, several questions talking about how a lot of these themes represent the past and, um, you know, how they compare to the present, you know, how they carry over into the present, which I think leads well into kind of something we wanted to discuss, which was um, how our state's German cultural heritage can help us thrive here in the 21st century. Um, you know, I think history kind of has this reputation of, of people thinking, why should I care? Um, it's already happened. It doesn't affect me now um, when it does. And, uh, and I, I don't have to tell you that and you don't have to tell me that. But, um, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of this stigma that's put on history is that it's boring because it's already happened. So what difference does it make? Um, and I think that the important thing about this book is that it doesn't just present the past, it links it very well to the present, to places we can go visit today, to people that have a lasting impression, um, and to cultural traditions that we still see today, that we still practice ourselves, um, as, as Katie mentioned um, in, in our chat box. Uh, but I think the important thing to remember is, you know, how this publication and by extension, you know, what it represents, you know, what is it about the, the, you know, the cultural traditions of Germans in Missouri, you know, almost 200 years ago when they first started to come over here, how does that resonate today? And how can we learn from that and thrive from that? One reason I, I use the term heritage rather than history is one, people, people's associations with history very often reflect their high school history experience. I was very lucky in that respect, but uh, not everybody else was. And with all due respect to football coaches, that's not necessarily a good combination as far as teaching, you know, for teaching history. Um, yeah, but the idea of heritage, what gets passed on? Um, you know, what's worth, uh, what, what is something worth? And I think that's where the uh, Antiques Roadshow um, image became very valuable that, uh, wow, this, this old thing, you know, is this valuable or it, all of a sudden it opens up and, uh, you know, you may have um, an heirloom, or if nothing else, you have a great story that um, connects you to, I don't know, 
your ancestor or um, something like that, which is another reason why the, uh, the oral histories and the digitization project that you have underway as part of the German Heritage Corridor Initiative, I think is so important. We've seen that uh, when people start talking about something, very often they don't really know going in why it's important or what the connection is. But through this process of reflection, dialogue sometimes, um, or just looking at the object, all of a sudden they start to make the connections. So sometimes it's just a matter of stopping, reflecting. <clears throat> Hopefully this publication will help people maybe reflect a little bit more on some of those ordinary things around them or some of the special things that we've come to take for granted, you know, the Alexander von Humboldt statue, you know, who was that guy? Well, if you check it out, you know, you'll find all sorts of connections. So heritage, what's, what's worth passing on? We're, we're not going to keep everything. We're not going to just live in the past, but hopefully there are elements of that past that will live in us or, or should live in us. And that's really what this discussion is about. That's what the humanities are really all about. What, what has meaning, how, you know, whether it's through study of history or literature or the arts or archeology, span uh, geography, the meaning of our experience. Um, if, if nothing else, this pandemic has taught me, you know, um, pay attention and uh, value things differently. And I think that uh, I've been forced to slow down as many people have and maybe see connections or value in things that I might've rushed by before. So hopefully that, um, <clears throat> I can't really tell people what they should value. I've identified some, some key things that you know, give this ice wine a unique quality for me, but uh, taste is very subjective and people may find other things or their taste may differ. But uh, I always find that talking about it um, in the civil dialogue that Missouri Humanities talks about, um, again, and, and that's a very German idea, um, culture and cultivation, um, their word for education was Bildung. And it's not just about getting your diploma, but it's about shaping a life. And um, they talk about Bildungsroman or um, a life, a novel of one's life. And to a certain extent, <laughs> this publication became that for me. Um, now I thought I knew stuff about uh, Missouri's German heritage. And uh, turns out 40 years later, I didn't know much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, um, you know, talking about why something, you know, like heritage and, and, and passing on heritage and, and explaining, I guess, not maybe not explaining, but putting it out there, why it's, it's so important to, to remember. Um, Judith gives us a, a really great comment. And this, you know, and thank you, Judith. This is exactly the kind of thing we love to hear when it comes to programs like these. And she says, 
Uh, I started doing genealogical research when I retired five years ago. I was a music professor at CU Denver for 30 plus years. And after I moved to KC, I began really researching my Missouri family roots. I was surprised and delighted to discover generations of German great grandparents on my paternal grandmother's line. And quite, she says quite a few of them were Jaegers. So that's interesting. <laughs> Jaegers in Missouri, <laughs> including the names uh, Diefenbach, Sommer, Adelman, and Litzenberg definitely German, uh, among others. My grandmother never talked about this side of her family and I don't know any of their personal stories aside from what I found in records and a few old photos. I've loved reading the book and exploring ancillary resources to discover and extend the knowledge I have of this side of my family. Thanks for this great research and I've enjoyed this series so much. While working on my PhD 30 years ago, studying German art, song and those inherent traditions and artifacts, I gained an appreciation for and love of German culture through that lens, not knowing about my own German heritage. Um, that's really great, Judith. And, and it's a, a great anecdote for, you know, why it's so important to explore your roots and then to take it a step further and, and explore the people, you know, surrounding that. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. Um, if I can build upon Ju Judith, Judith. What, mm -hmm. um, beautiful um, story. <clears throat> I had the opportunity to sing with the University of Missouri Choral Union. And uh, one time we did excerpts from Richard Wagner's Die Meistersingers. And uh, uh, Wagner took this old story, this, this tradition, and uh, um, long story short, the, the singing competition was all bound up in tradition and rules and um, you had to do it this way. And uh, um, Meister Singers, because of a love story, um, wound up creating a new song that respected that heritage, but gave it um, new life, new vitality. And uh, if you sang it, <laughs> you know, um, it was pretty powerful. Uh, words don't do it justice, but giving voice to those those elements that still speak to us, but giving them a form that speaks to us today. Um, no no easy feat, but uh, um, otherwise, in our contemporary society, we're just kind of bouncing from one thing to another, and to have a certain amount of groundedness, I think, would be valuable, especially for for younger people. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, um, Judith, thanks for sharing that. And I'm, I'm glad you found something of value in publication, but also in your um, Missouri German heritage. And Sharon asks a question. I don't know the answer to this. Um, Arthur, maybe you do, uh, but I think this would be uh, something interesting to explore. Are, are all regions of Germany represented in the Missouri German corridor, or is there any region or regions that seem to have more immigrants? So the second part of that question, I think, might be easier to answer because I think you know you can look very easily um, at places and 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 kind of know where in Germany they came from. Oftentimes, they named it after where they came from: um, Hamburg, Westphalia, places down in Perry County. There are um, you know Perry County is a great example of a place where um, your immigrant group from where you came from in what was you know the German provinces. Um, is still a part of your identity today. Um, you know, they have a, a, a big Baden um, German population. Uh, I know they had uh, Saxon Lutheran Germans. Um, 
that left a major imprint on, on Perry County and by extension, Missouri. Um, I know we have a large group of Hanoverian. Um, I think Kansas City's uh, sister city is Hanover. Um, and then more contemporarily, you know, we get, um, you know, cities like Stuttgart have um, sizable uh, immigrants that, you know, came here. But as you get into more contemporary times, it's not so much immigrant groups from an area, um, but more individuals or families. But um, I don't know about every province. You know, my, my immediate reaction, just because it's so definitive to say yes, is probably not. Um, but Arthur, if you know differently, um, I mean, I couldn't even name all the German provinces. So, <laughs> I, you know, that's a big question, and I don't want to, you know, misstate or or pretend to, that I know. I do think that there's a, a real connection, though, between um, immigration to America and in Missouri and industrialization or religious persecution um, conflict in, in, well, it wasn't even Germany, um, really, much of the time. And then German unification um, also involved creating a, a German national army under Prussian leadership. And I can tell you that my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, August Christian Friedrich Merhoff, wasn't real keen on that. And I'm sure that there were a lot of um, others as well. So uh, if you, I think if you track what was happening in Germany as far as industrialization, uh, urbanization, and um, you know, religious conflicts, political religious conflicts, I think that there, there'd be a strong correlation there. Um, so perhaps less, less immigration, maybe from southern, what's now southern Germany, um, but uh, there's certainly um, people from Bavaria or those customs that part of culture has been incorporated. So um, the blanket statement would be wrong. Actually, thank you, Petra. It's nice thank to you. have a professor of history also in our attendees. Uh, Petra DeWitt, who was also one of our uh, special guests uh, says her answer would be yes, although she has not come across anyone from, and I'm sorry if I butcher this, um, Palatinate. Uh, Westphalia and Prussia is the largest representation. Bavaria was well represented. Okay. Um, so thank you, Petra. Um, you know, if anybody else has any information, yeah, feel free to put it out there. We appreciate it. Um, so I hope that helps answer some of your question. And it's also, you know, that's a great jumping off point for some really fun research to do. Um, <laughs> for somebody. <laughs> um, so, so I want to spend just a little bit of time um, before we wrap up because uh, we're, we're getting close. Um, we have uh, three different uh, communities, organizations, businesses that, uh, that help support this publication. I just want to um, call those out and spend a little bit of time just discussing, um, or I guess mentioning uh, why, you know, these were such important sponsors and why they weren't just chosen or solicited, um, you know, for no reason. So one of them obviously is is Herman. Uh, the city of Herman was gracious enough to uh, to help support this publication. Herman is um, a city uh, community here um, that you, if you've been along for the ride, you know very much about Herman. It's a it's an example almost in every chapter, um, just of of what a community can do when they truly appreciate and want to commemorate and show off 
their roots. Um, you know, Herman, you know, was a is is a very um, well-established tourism community. Um, because they do things like highlight what makes them so special. They they have great festivals, German festivals like their annual Oktoberfest that lasts the entire month of October. They do a great Mai Fest uh, in the spring. They do a Christmas festival. They do a Worst Fest in uh, March. So they really are. Um, they really see it as incredibly important to not only have these community events that help share. Um, that cultural heritage and and of course you know give off that feeling of gemütlichkeit but yeah. uh but they they you know <laughs> just they, like to say gemütlichkeit yeah i do <laughs> um but their architecture you know they're they're very you know the whole downtown area is a um is on the national register you know for for its significance um so, so we are very appreciative that Herman saw this book as um, something to invest in, and we in turn are very grateful to help um, tell people to go visit them because of uh, you know all the, the great things that they have to offer. Um, another also being Deutschheim yeah. State Historic Site. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Deutschheim, yes. Which, uh, if you were along um, a couple chapters ago, Katie Homer is the current site administrator there, and Deutschheim is a wonderful um, state parks uh, example of kind of daily German life. Um, you know, very authentic uh, representation of two kind of different ways of living. You got the Palmer House, which is kind of a representation of a wealthier um, German family, and then the Straley House, which is kind of a more middle class. Uh, typical German household. Um, so yes, definitely worth visiting. Um, Perry County is uh, not technically in the German Heritage Corridor, but still saw this as such an important publication because Perry County um, is, I, I, I think is so fascinating. Um, they're a place that I've mentioned several times. I think Arthur does mention in the book too, um, of these different pockets of German settlement and they were very much, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, uh, tied to where they came from in Germany, um, you know, based on religion, based on, uh, based on, you know, their province, and, and that can be felt to this day. Um, it's, you know, the place where Concordia Seminary was uh, started. They still have those historic sites there. They have a wonderful museum. Uh, the Lutheran Heritage Museum is a wonderful place to learn. They're a, a, a top tier place for genealogical research. If you, um, if you have ties to that area or, um, you know, kind of anywhere surrounding there, a great place to go do research. It's really top notch um, in the way that they have all of their data organized and how helpful their volunteers are um, when it comes to genealogy. So um, any genealogy buffs, that would be worth um, a really, really fun trip down to uh, southeastern Missouri. Um, so, so thank you so much to Perry County, to Trish Ertzfeld, who's actually one of our board members. She's the executive director of Perry County Heritage Tourism. Um, you know, call her up. I'm sure she'd be happy to tell you where to go. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful county and has wonderful little small towns and museums. Um, it's, it's a place kind of like the corridor where you drive through and you just feel that history and that heritage um, as you're driving through all of these communities and through the, the countryside. Um, so thank you very much, Perry County. Um, and the last one is Urban Chestnut Brewing Company, not a community, not a county, uh, a brewery. Um, Urban Chestnut has uh, been a great supporter of, um, of, of German heritage in our state. Um, they've, they've supported Missouri Humanities in the past. They contributed to this publication. Um, and though they're a fairly new brewery, um, I see them 
just with my experience with them and with programs that where they've supported us, they truly believe in creating an atmosphere reminiscent of that um, of that Germanness. And I'm gonna say it <laughs> of that Gemuslichkeit. If you've ever been to Urban Chestnut Brewery in St. Louis, um, the beer hall is set up very similarly to what you'd see a beer hall kind of in Germany. It's the big communal tables. It's meant to have this atmosphere of togetherness um, and, and not you know segmented tables like a restaurant would be. Um, very much kind of like a, a, a beer hall setting. Um, they they brew really great um, German beers and they serve really good German food. So I think that there, it is um, kind of something Arthur and I talked about today is that, you know, Urban Chestnut might be different from those other two sponsors we have in that they're not a German founded community, but uh, they're, they're interpreting German cultural heritage in their own way, in a more modern way, in doing things like um, brewing special reserve or special uh, German beers and serving their variation of authentic German food and creating that atmosphere of something like a, a, a Oktoberfest or a German beer hall, you know, that togetherness um, and that community feeling. So, so we're very appreciative of them as well um, and encourage you all to, to visit them. Um, really good beer, really good food. <laughs> I, I, I really like them. Um, so uh, those are the three people that we wanted to make sure that we mentioned today. Um, but kind of as we wrap up, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about what you guys can do now. Um, just because this series is over does not mean that's all there is. <laughs> um, what I what I really like about how Arthur handled this publication is that he does a really good job of not giving it all away. <laughs> um, you know, he mentioned Charles von Ravensway's book, which is 750 pages, where he's talking so much about material culture and cultural heritage, and he truly wanted to get as much in there as he could. <laughs> Whereas I think Arthur took this opportunity instead of saying like, wow, I could make this a giant book and Missouri Life said, nope, you cannot make this a giant book. We've got 150 pages and let's go. Um, you know, he did a really great job of, of, of picking great examples, but like I said, not giving it all away. It's, it's kind of a teaser and telling you like, hey, I'll tell you a little bit. Now it's your job to go out and to learn more. Um, you know, there's so many examples of places to visit, businesses to, um, you know, to, to, to spend money at and help the local communities shop local. Um, but I think that, you know, like we've got examples like Judith, it's, it's, it's an inspiration, I hope, to learn more. Um, you know, if you've been along for this whole ride with us for eight months, it means you care a little bit, or at least that each time you're coming back because you're learning something and feel like you want to learn more. Are you restricted to your house? That's yeah, also a possibility. I'm sure that was probably the case earlier on for a lot of our programs. Hopefully. What else are we going to do? Yeah. Um, but but I think that that's that's something so important about this book is that it's a great guide. Um, it tells you places to go, but once you get to those places, there's going to be so much more for you to learn and so much more to explore. Um, so Arthur, I mean, anything else that you would like to, to add to that? You know, what people can do to, to continue this, I don't wanna say education, but it is education, to continue this engagement with this German cultural heritage. The Bildung, the life education, it's, it's a very German thing to do. The use of, you know, historical societies and museums and lyceums and, uh, 
you know, discussion groups in order to continue our education. So I think the Missouri Humanities and the German Heritage Corridor program is a great example of that kind of build on. So again, we, you know, it's all of a sudden it's lost in the larger framework of things and that's fine, but it continues to feed into our lives today. And uh, I'm just so grateful to have been part of this. And uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate working with this young scholar and uh, road warrior. We've <laughs> we visited quite a few communities over the years and uh, um, one day hopefully we will again <laughs> and um, so I, I refer to myself as their Alta professor the, the old professor and it's so exciting to have someone like Caitlin who, who cares who gets it is bright and engaged and uh, um, feel like a lot of the things that I've valued and worked for um, could carry it on. She'll interpret it. Shucks. All <laughs> shucks, yeah. Um, well, thank you, Arthur. And I know that you you wanted to uh, end with um, with kind of calling attention to those last couple paragraphs of this chapter. They're very spot on, very poignant. So um, if you'll all bear with us for a couple more minutes, Arthur's going to read those last couple paragraphs, and then I'll go ahead and conclude. So Arthur, if you'd like. Like Abraham Lincoln in his first inaugural, I'm reluctant to close, but um, I probably couldn't have done this on my own, so I just decided I'll read this. <clears throat> Ice wine represents the perfect toast to this monumental journey. To my friends and colleagues in the Missouri Humanities Council German Heritage Corridor Initiative, and to my own Bildungsroman occasionally sketched here in the pages of Das Tagebuch. Despite my very clear awareness of its considerable limitations and incompleteness, I also take considerable comfort in knowing that even the incomparable Alexander von Humboldt, Goethe's great friend and inspiration for this project, could not complete his cosmos life work. This publication is by no means a cosmos, an encyclopedia, are the last word on Missouri's German cultural heritage. Previous generations like my grandmother, Clara Schrout, of Missouri Germans would probably call it a hotchpotch. However, I do hope this hotchpotch offers you a small window with a good view on that remarkable world, preferably on a hill overlooking a vineyard with the Missouri River in the distance with more light and a clear vantage on this unfolding new chapter in the German Heritage Corridor's exploration, preservation, and interpretation. Thank you, Arthur. Um, and believe it or not, that concludes our eight-part program series, Explore Missouri's German Heritage, which we started back in September, which feels like another world ago, truly. <laughs> Um, I want to expend, extend a special thank you, of course, to Arthur for his unparalleled dedication. 
um, to all of our special guests who have joined us during our individual chapter discussions, and especially to all of you um, who joined us on this journey. Uh, it truly was a journey. I'm sure I speak for Arthur as well when I say that we hope these discussions have inspired you to get out and explore the German Heritage Corridor and the other wonderful German Heritage sites mentioned and unmentioned throughout the state, and also for you to explore your own roots, whether German or not. Um, if you'd like to revisit or share these discussions, all eight are available both on our Facebook page and will be available on our video archive, mohumanities.org slash videos. Um, I'm also really excited to announce that these discussions have also been made into podcasts. Um, welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> uh, so currently they are available on Spotify um, and soon they'll be available on Apple Podcasts as well and wherever you can get podcasts. Uh, so if you have Spotify, um, just search Explore Missouri's German Heritage and it'll come up and you can listen to them without having to, to be on a computer and watch the video. Uh, so please stay informed and stay engaged with Missouri Humanities by following us on Facebook, signing up for our newsletter and becoming a member. We have so much to offer and we're always excited to share it with you all. So visit mohumanities.org to learn more. We've always got events coming up, lots of exciting things happening. Once again, thank you, Arthur. Thank you, everyone. Please stay on your computers for just a couple extra minutes uh, for that survey and check your email for the series evaluation. We hope to see you soon at future programs. Again, thank you so much, Arthur. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day.